0: continuing our study in the topic of heaven and I'm telling you literally after every Wednesday night that I preach I feel this huge like sigh of relief because I'm like oh my gosh okay that topic's done and then, and then all of a sudden I can't sleep because I'm like, holy cow, I've gotta cover the next big topic next week. Like it has been so good for me. I have grown so much, learned so much through this process and I hope you have too. Um, I, I wanted to share real quick kind of what has guided some of this uh, conversation. And maybe you're like, man, where's Eric getting some of this stuff from? Um, first and foremost, we're getting it from the Bible and the Bible was written by God. Actually, the Bible was written by 40 different authors who got inspired to write the story of God so that we could know God. And so the scriptures have obviously profoundly and firstly and most importantly shaped our study of uh, the topic of heaven. But there's been two other books, and, and as we're sort of preparing to land the plane, as we're about halfway through this series, I know that some of you are going, Eric, I just want to know more about heaven, more than you can cover in 25 or 30 minutes. Well, these are going to be the two best books that I've found for you to go and dive deeper into. The first one is Randy Alcorn's book just called Heaven and then the second one is by Robert Jeffries and that is A Place Called Heaven. Um, The first one is literally like a 600 page uh, manifesto. It's crazy, it's intense. The other one is about maybe like 150, 200 pages and so depending on what you're interested in or how much you can commit to it, um, these would be great books for you to dive into. Um, As I'm beginning, there's some pens underneath your chairs. We want you to get as much out of what we're talking about and I go pretty fast to cover as much uh, content As we need to cover. And so we want you to be taking notes so that you can have really great small group conversations. But let me start while you're kind of preparing, doing a a kind of a, a, a zooming back a little bit, rewinding a little bit, flying above the sky and going, okay, what have we talked about up to this point? What have we covered? And I've been thinking, okay, how do we kind of break it down and make it a little bit simpler and easier to digest? And so I want to talk about this. What is our story like? What's our timeline of the world? And how does heaven fit into that? So what we began with was part one, the perfect earth. And I've included these scriptures so that you can go back and check these scriptures on your own. But we talked about how originally when God created the heavens and the earth, they were one. Heaven and earth was one. Heaven being God's holy place, being where God reigns, where things are perfect perfect the way God desired it to be, heaven and earth were absolutely one, and that's when there was the perfect earth described in Genesis 1 and 2. But then, then we broke it, that we destroyed it, that part two entered the story of the world, and that began with us breaking apart the thing that God had created, and all of a sudden, a chasm formed between earth and heaven. No longer were they one, but they became divided. They became separate from each other. And the world that you and I currently live in right now is still that fallen earth, the weight of sin and pain that you and I feel, the rejection we experience, the reason there are diseases and natural disasters. It is all a byproduct of the reality that sin has ruined, destroyed, and brought death to everything. It always does. I've told you this before, sin promises life, It says, if you do that thing, or if you engage in that or experience that, you will have what you are ultimately looking for. Sin always lies because it always promises life, but always brings death. And it didn't just bring death to our own spiritual relationship with God, but it brought death to everything, all of creation. But still, what existed and what currently exists is what theologians call the, uh, what theologians call the present heaven or the intermediate heaven. It's heaven before God, Jesus returns again and reunites heaven and earth. And there are some scriptures, and you can go back. If some of this is like, man, Eric, I, I need a refresher course, you can go to our podcast, you can go to our Vimeo, you can download these talks and, and dive a little bit deeper into them. But what exists right now is this dynamic, this, this tension, between fallen earth and the present heaven, which for people who have died and are in a relationship with Jesus, they are in the present heaven right now. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Well, then part three is judgment day. That's when Jesus returns and he is gonna fully separate those who are followers of him and those who are not. And we talked about it and some of you are going, man, but shouldn't heaven just be for everybody? Here's the thing, like we're gonna talk about a little bit tonight. Heaven is where Jesus reigns. Heaven is where we will be in perfect relationship with Jesus and perfect relationship with his followers. If your life has not been on a trajectory to spend eternity with him, why would you want to spend eternity with him? And so for those that are followers of Jesus on Judgment Day, it'll be a day where we're reunited with the longing that our heart has always had to be in a perfect relationship with Jesus That at that time, the new heavens and the new earth, as we talked about last week, will be established. That God will fully renew and restore this place, that literally, earth as we know it will be renewed and restored, and so heaven, eternity, will feel similar to what it felt like in the Garden of Eden with the absence of sin and pain and brokenness. And at that time, Jesus will actually give us a new name. We'll still have our earthly name, but he will give us a new name that only he knows that he's been waiting to give to us. And we will also have resurrected bodies. That means your body and your mind will be resurrected. And it might look slightly different. There might be some additions. There might be some things that God is gonna surprise us with, but there will absolutely be our bodies in the eternal new heaven and new earth. And where we land tonight, is what will that forever and ever look like? What will that look like? Randy Alcorn, who we've talked a lot about, he has this quote that we've revisited each week. He says this, the climax of history, like right now, the climax of history is not who is going to get elected when we vote. The climax of history is not what is going to happen. Will I get married someday? Will I get that job? Will I have those kids? Will I whatever? That is not the climax of history. That oftentimes feels like our climax, but that is not the ultimate climax of history. That as Christians, we fix our gaze on a climax of history that's much larger than our own lives and our own feelings even in this moment. And Randy says the climax of history will be the creation of the new heaven and the new earth, a resurrected universe inhabited by resurrected people living with a resurrected Jesus. We have talked about all of that except for what will living in heaven look like? What will it be like? What will we do in heaven? I want to use this analogy to kind of get us started because maybe some of you are going, my picture of heaven is I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, It's all about me. It's my desires. If I'm really into, like, peanut butter, chocolate, it's gonna be a peanut butter, chocolate fountains all the time. Or if I'm really into golf, I'm gonna be golfing all the time. Or if I really love uh, Fortnite, like, it's just gonna be the mega screen and Jesus is gonna be like, let's play. Like, Like, I don't know what your vision is. I don't know what your vision is, but oftentimes, oftentimes our picture of what we will do in heaven is actually just a reflection of our own selfish desires. It's a reflection of ultimately whatever it is that we want to do. And sometimes, maybe you've felt this tension before. Maybe even as we've talked so in detail about heaven, maybe somebody has shared this with you, or maybe you kind of had this vibe that, well, no, no, all heaven is going to be is just me and Jesus staring at each other, just in, like a, in an eternal staring contest, you know? like Maybe that's what you thought it's going to be like. And so maybe tonight when we start talking about that, heaven will actually be broader than that. Maybe you're gonna feel a little tension. You're going, no, I thought it was just Jesus and I staring at each other. Or maybe some of you, you thought heaven was just like this glorified fulfillment of all of your desires and then you're like, wait, but I gotta spend eternity with Jesus? Like, is that gonna get boring? Are we just constantly gonna sing like amazing grace over and over? I mean, really? And maybe tonight you'll be convicted as well because here's the thing. When we talk about what we will do in heaven, It doesn't have to be Jesus versus heaven. It doesn't have to be either we're staring at Jesus all the time or we're experiencing whatever it is that we want to experience. But the biblical picture of heaven says we don't have to choose between Jesus and his place. In fact, an analogy I like to use is Sarah, my wife. Many of you know Sarah. Sarah, my wife, is my favorite person on planet Earth. I mean, I, I like my kids. Like, they're, they're cool, right? I love my kids. I think they're great, right? They're annoying at times. I love them, though, right? It's cool changing their diapers. It's awesome, and, and I love them, but like, here's the thing. One day, they're going to move out, like, God willing, before 30, right? Like, they're going to move out at some point, point. and the thing is, it's going to be Sarah and I, and so I very much prioritize my relationship with Sarah because at some point the kids are gonna move. And I've told some of this thing before and I like to joke about it, but um, whenever our kids start to whine about Sarah and I going out on a date, I tell them, I go, stop crying. Like, I'm, I'm mean to them. I'm like, stop crying. The best gift I can give you is a great relationship with your mom. So here's what we're doing in our house. When I tell you that mommy and daddy are going on a date, you need to <laughs> erupt in her. Like, you need, to, you need to go for it. And literally, you guys, They do now. It's awesome. It's awesome. I tell them, I go, hey, mom and dad are going on a date, and Charlie's like, yeah, awesome. Like just terrified I'm gonna ground him or something. You know what I mean? He just claps. Because Sarah's my favorite person in the world. My favorite place in the world is being at home with Sarah. That environment that we have, that safety, the the relationship that her and I have, it's my favorite person in my favorite place. And you guys, that is, a, uh, that is a failed analogy that is such a small comparison to what ultimately heaven will be. Because heaven, in summary, will be experiencing Jesus, your favorite person, in his favorite place. I thought of this, you know, if I were to come home, let's say Sarah had spent the whole day like cleaning the house and getting it ready and, and cooking a, a, like a, a steak dinner for me and, and mashed potatoes and, and crescent rolls with butter. Can I get an amen? And it's just like good. And, and let's say I walked in the front doors. Let's say I walked in the front doors and I was like, this is awesome. The house is so clean. Oh my goodness, This is incredible. It's vacuumed. It's so neat. It's so awesome. And I, and I walk in and it's just clean and beautiful and incredible. And, and then all of a sudden I see this giant steak dinner and I sit down and I enjoy this dinner. I go, this is the best meal I've ever had in my entire life. This is incredible. And all the while, Sarah, who made it all happen, is standing over here waiting for me to acknowledge her. Though I would have experienced these cool things, I would have completely missed it. And in the same way, students, heaven is not going to be you sort of waking up, resurrected, and going, sweet, I'm going to do whatever I want. While Jesus is going, hey, I'd like to hang out with you. Heaven is going to be this perfect connection with our favorite person in our favorite Place. So what will we do in heaven? This scripture is going to kind of guide our discussion of that. Revelation chapter 22, it says this, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. There there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. In summary, this is what Jesus says eternity with him is going to be like. There will be no curse. So immediately try to picture your life without sin, regret, Anger, jealousy, pain, hatred, violence. I mean, imagine all of it, gone. Not even a temptation for you anymore. Wiped away. Every baggage that you carry, every thought you think that you just can't get past it, this addiction you find yourself in. Imagine it all gone. The curse has been wiped away. This is what heaven will look like. We will serve Jesus We will see Jesus. We will be served by Jesus. We will reign and rest like Jesus, and we will have relationships that honor Jesus. And that's what we're gonna spend our time talking about. First, let's begin with, we will serve Jesus. In Revelation chapter seven, it says this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Don't miss this, students, that Scripture clearly paints a picture that eternity with Jesus will look like us in the most epic worship venue experience we've ever been in our entire lives. And you guys, the reason what just happened up here was so special, and the reason many of us experienced God just a few minutes ago as we were singing, is because God hardwired us for this, knowing that one day we will do it forever, And in fact, what I love is God is so multicultural. God's God's vision is not just a bunch of white people singing. It's not just a bunch of black people singing. It's not just a bunch of Asian people singing. It's not a bunch of men singing. it's not a bunch of women singing. that God's vision and his dream is that they would be from every nation, tribe, people, and language. I remember when Sarah and I were um, just about to start dating, we went to this conference, this missions conference, is a worldwide global conference with 25,000 people. And they, they, uh, we rang in the new year singing worship songs. And I remember they had singers up there who were singing, I think we were singing Amazing Grace in every language possible. And it was one of the most profound, powerful experiences of my life to hear literally all tribes and tongues and languages singing the praises of God so the first thing we learn about heaven is that we will serve Jesus. And one of the ways that we will serve Jesus is we will sing to him. And notice, though, this isn't a solo act. Scripture does not say it's you standing before a microphone. You're like, hi, Jesus. Um, I wrote this one. Mary had a little, I mean, uh, Jesus, I love you. You know what I mean? It's not going to be that. Scripture says heaven is literally going to be a multitude of worship leaders that will be all of us, too numerous to possibly count, shouting at the top of our lungs how good and glorious and beautiful and magnificent and wonderful God is. And as we talked about last week, I literally believe every single day in eternity, we will understand God more and more and more, and so each day we will have new praises to offer him that we will have new joys to express to him, that our hearts and minds will have expanded even more. It's like when you have kids, this is the craziest thing, as we've had Levi join our family, what's wild is that my love for my other kids has not shrunk, but all of a sudden this part of my heart has expanded to where I can now love Levi the same way I love these other kids. Thank you, oh yeah, that Levi too, I love you too, bro. Um, (laughs) And in the same way, I literally think For all of eternity, our hearts and our minds are going to be expanding, are going to be growing, are going to be developing, as we are constantly blown away because God is always creator and we are always his creation. And he will, for all of eternity, surprise the heck out of you. I mean, you think this last year you've grown in your relationship with God? Wait till you're with Jesus and the rest of us, for all of eternity... Every day in heaven will be a day of sitting back and going, I didn't think that would happen. Are you kidding me? He's that good? He's that loving? Cornelius Venema, he says this. Will we always be engaged in worship? So this is another question. When I'm talking about serving Jesus, does it, is that just singing to him? No, it's not actually just singing. Will we always be engaged in worship? Yes and No. If we have a narrow view of worship, the answer is no. But if we have a broad view of worship, the answer is yes. Every legitimate activity of new creaturely life will be included within the life of worship of God's people. So if somebody asks you, are you really gonna worship God for all of eternity? Say, absolutely, but I imagine your view of worship is really small. Worship is not just singing. We talk to you guys about this all the time. Worship is how you interact with people. Worship is how you spend your time when nobody else is watching. In fact, every question in your life really revolves around one question, who are you worshiping? I'm just gonna go there. If you're wanting to date this guy, you need to ask yourself the question, is it worshipful for me to date him? Is it worshipful for me to date this girl? Is it worshipful for me to go to this party? Is it worshipful for me to do X, Y, and Z? That's really the question that you're constantly asking ourselves is, is it worshipful? And ultimately, that actually begs the question, who are you worshiping? Because if you and I are worshiping our own selves, then we'll do whatever it is that we want. But if ultimately we are worshiping God, then he dictates and guides all that we do, knowing that when we follow him, it actually leads to a better life. But Cornelius says, look, worship is gonna be a lot broader than singing songs. It will involve singing, absolutely. And if some of you are like me, you're like, I'm tone deaf, like I'm really embarrassed. There's gonna be like a billion, you know what I mean? Like there's gonna be a lot of people, so you'll, you'll drown out, it'll be Okay. But as you're singing to God and praising him, that will be one aspect of serving him and worshiping him. But that won't be it. In fact, I found this verse just today that I wanted to share with you, Job. It says this, but ask the animals, this is God speaking, but ask the animals and they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. You know what God's saying here? Is all of creation points to me. That as you experience creation, as you experience the things that you love to do, if you're in this room and you love woodworking, if you're in this room and you love hiking, if you love surfing, if you love skating, if you love adventure, what God actually wants to say to you, not only in heaven but now, is your job should be looking for God in those places. That as you are out surfing, you need to say, God, what do you want to teach me right now? Because the waves have something to teach you about God. That people, we say this a lot here in HSM, that we believe God wants to speak to you and we think he wants to use the person sitting next to you. That God wants to use the person sitting next to you to point you to Jesus. So you see, heaven, as we serve Jesus and as we worship him, it will absolutely involve singing. But it will also involve learning more about Him and experiencing the new heaven and the new earth that God has created for our enjoyment because when we are full of joy because of Him, it is worshipful to Him. So that's what some of what's serving. God will look like. Randy Alcorn says this, we will glorify God and find joy in him as we do what he has made us to do, serve him as resurrected beings and carry out his plan for developing a Christ-centered, resurrected culture in a resurrected universe. And we'll unpack that a little bit more. The next thing, so we will serve Jesus, but Revelation says that you will also see Jesus. And It's easy to gloss over this and say, okay, you see see him? What, What does that mean? I want to take you way back to the Old Testament for a second. Because the idea of seeing God was absolutely foreign and absolutely unattainable. Moses said in Exodus 33, now show me your glory. He's talking to God. He says, God, you've called me to a big life. Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. You see, there's this ancient idea that to actually see God in his fullness would ultimately result in our complete destruction. That God be an all-holy, completely perfect, creator, infinite, that for us who are living under the curse of sin and death, that for us to be fully exposed to God in all of his glory would be absolutely devastating and would destroy us. And you know, I want to pause here for a second because I wonder if some of you, maybe you've used those words before and you just say, Jesus, I'm not feeling you right now. God, I can't see you working in my life. I remember there were a few months ago where something just, it was a kind of a culmination of difficult events in my life. One of them being Sarah um, left to go on a trip for like three days, and I was responsible for the kids all by myself. It was crazy, okay, it was just nuts. And I was watching the kids, and and sometimes when you're a parent and, and you're just around kids all the time, it can begin to feel a little bit lonely. Like, like you can only say so many times, like, Brinley, stop rubbing the pancakes on your body. You know what I mean? Like, you can only say that so many times, right? And you can only say, like, Charlie, like, please don't smush Lila's face. Like, we want her to have a nice face. Like, don't do, like, you can only do that so much. And so having kids and watching kids, it can become a little bit lonely, I remember around that same time, there was something going on in the ministry that I had to deal with, and there were some conflicts and some tensions, and and I I felt this overwhelming sense of loneliness. And I wonder if any of you have ever felt that in your room some nights, or I wonder if any of you have ever felt that as you've walked the halls of your school going, I just feel alone right now. I remember I was driving to something, and I just felt totally drained, and I just was like, Jesus, I can't see your face. You can't see you right now. Like, I feel absolutely alone. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you've been there for a really long time. And you know what I felt like God said to me? I felt like he said, Eric, I know that you feel alone, but the truth is you're not. I felt like he said to me, even when you feel alone, the truth is I'm always with you. And I wanted to share that because I wonder if some of you that that feeling is so guiding your life right now. It's causing you to be distant from reading the word. It's causing you to be distant from wanting to pray and talk with him. It's causing you to actually isolate like you haven't been to HSM in a little while and and you're just not really invested in this community because overall you're going, God, I just can't really feel you right now. I think the reality is that the reason we can't feel him oftentimes is because we live in a sinful, broken world. Sometimes it's our own sin doing it, but sometimes it's just the reality that we live in the fallen earth, that feeling and sensing God can be difficult. But students, I want to remind you to go back to the word. I want to remind you to go back to Jesus's promise that even when you don't feel him, he is with you. And I remember I was driving in the car And after I felt like the Lord reminded me of that, I just played some worship music and I just started worshiping him. Even though I wasn't feeling him in that moment, I just started worshiping him because I said, you know what, I know that what is true is bigger and more valuable and more important than what I feel. But even Moses felt that. He said, "Ah, I want to see your face. I haven't seen your face. And yet something happened when Jesus came to planet Earth in the first century In fact, John says it this way, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God. And so Jesus is not just a nice teacher. He actually is God. Then Paul in Colossians, he talks about Jesus. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And then the author of Hebrews says, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so the closest we come to actually seeing God is in Jesus, is in the stories that we learn about Jesus, in the way that the Holy Spirit changes our lives and allows us to see God so clearly. And you guys, it will be incredible in heaven to have no blinders, to have no divisions, to have no curse, to have no fallenness, to have no gap between our ability to fully see Jesus. Jonathan Edwards, when he was speaking of heaven, he said this, as they, meaning those who are in heaven, as they increase in the knowledge of God and in the works of God, the more they will see of his excellency. And the more they will see of his excellency, the more they will love him. And the more they love God, the more delight and happiness will they have in him. And so for all of eternity, you guys, we will have what Moses begged for, we will have what our hearts long for right now. The unfiltered ability to see Jesus completely. Well, not only that, not only will we serve him, not only will we see him, but we will actually be served by Jesus. Remember that part of the passage where it said that uh, our names, uh, this is what it says, they will see his face and, then, and his name will be on their foreheads, that God will actually serve us and take care of us. And here's the thing, he does that for us here and now. I wanna remind you of some of the ways that Jesus is serving you right now. He's serving you through scriptures like this. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. One of the ways that Jesus serves you right now is by singing in perfect pitch, like he's able to do the whistle tone, like he's able to go farther than Beyonce could ever go, singing over you because he loves you because you are the apple of his eye, because he adores you. And not only does he sing over you, but he speaks truth over you. I've showed you this graphic before, but in Ephesians 1 and 2, you are given 27 identities in Christ, so that you would not wonder who you are or whose you are, so that you would not wonder, is there anybody thinking about you? Is there anybody who's claimed you? And here's the thing, students, Because we live in a fallen earth, because life is hard, because there's brokenness all around us, we need to be reminded that even when we don't feel these things, we are these things. And in all of God's grace and mercy and love and abundance, he reminds us over and over and over again who we actually are. I I like to tell stories to my kids at night. Like um, Sarah really likes to read them books and I know that's what we're supposed to do, Miss Cheryl, I'm sorry. I know know we're supposed to read books to kids and I love all that, but I just like making up stories. That's like my favorite thing to do. And so Sarah reads them stories and I just make up stories, right? And I love telling these stories that like multiple nights, like they all link together and and I like to give them little hooks at the end of the story. And so um, you're just gonna think I'm the weirdest guy, but I wanna let you into my life. So uh, we've been on this like five-part story about Charlie Brinley Lee Levi and Lila all going up to the moon in a spaceship together, but on the spaceship, all of a sudden these four evil Komodo dragons snuck on the spaceship, okay? And they snuck on the spaceship to like, destroy the kids but the kids have to get to the moon and defeat the the uh evil uh, uh komodo dragon so each night each night like the first night charlie dukes it out and their competition with his evil komodo dragon was a corndog eating contest right and so we had to, i had to paint this picture of who could eat the most amount of corndogs and you guys it's the best um, like you've heard all my stories before, but they, they, they're like, they're like hanging on every word. You know what I mean? They love stories. In fact, Charlie oftentimes will tell me like when it's just him and I, I'm tucking him into bed. He's like, dad, tell me a story about your life. Tell me a story. And I'm like, okay. And then he goes, no, no, no. Tell me a naughty story. Okay. Like tell me a naughty story. Like, what does that mean? He's, he's like, he's like, I want to hear a story of when you did something bad. Like he loves those stories. Right? So my kids are story junkies. They love it. So we're leaning in it each night, each night. We end with like Charlie, he defeated the evil Komodo dragon, and the evil Komodo dragon was thrown out of the spaceship. And all of a sudden, up next is Brinley, and Brinley's competition will be. And then I say, you'll have to wait till tomorrow night to find out, right? And they love it. They love it. They're like, oh, what's going, what's going to happen, right? And it's just, it's like the most fun, incredible thing ever. But there there was a harmful side effect to all this. So I've been talking about Komodo dragons a lot. The other morning, we're all laying in bed, like all six of us. Like we just got a bigger bed so we can all fit. It. So there's six of us that are all cuddled in the morning, talking. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Brinley, Lila's next to me and Charlie's next to her. And Charlie looks at Lila and he says this, he goes, you're a Komodo dragon. <laughs> Lila's two. Like she could actually believe she's a Komodo dragon. You know what I mean? She, now we look at that and we go, that's crazy, right? And I think when God watches us, believing crazy things about ourselves, I think he goes, you guys, don't you know this? But he's gracious with us. Because Charlie looks at Lila and says, you're a Komodo dragon. And she goes, no, I'm not a Komodo dragon. And he goes, you're a Komodo dragon, right? (laughs) And then since she's laying closest to me, she looks up at me and she goes, daddy, am I a Komodo dragon? (laughs) And I was like, no, Lila. I was like, Lila, no, you are a beautiful little girl. You are a beautiful little girl. And she goes like this. She goes, I'm a beautiful little girl beautiful little girl, right? And then guess what? That little brat, you know what he says? He goes, he goes, Lila, you're a Komodo dragon. You're a Komodo dragon. And she goes, she goes, I'm not a Komodo, I'm not a Komodo dragon. And he goes, you're a Komodo dragon. She literally looks at me and she goes, daddy, am I a Komodo dragon? I'm like, no, you're not a Komodo dragon. You don't have a tail. You're not a Komodo dragon. You are a beautiful little girl. And we did this like three or four times. And at the end of this experience, I had this moment where I was like, that is totally what it's like between me and God and the world that I live in, that I hear messages all day long that I'm not enough, that if I looked like this, acted like this, sounded like this, did this better, whatever, that I would be something. If I had this amount of money, if this person would hang out with me, whatever. And God's just waiting to say, no, 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 Eric, you're not a Komodo dragon. You're not. You're a beautiful muscular, amazing man. You're not a Komodo dragon. You are a man of God. And students, I wonder, I wonder, are you listening to the enemy whisper in your ear lies about who you are and it's keeping you distant from God? And what would it look like if you listened to God's voice and who God says you are? Well, here's one other way that we'll be served by Jesus. In Daniel, there's a prophecy about the end times. And this way before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. It says, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, excuse me, you will rest. Then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. And so God has some place prepared for you. He has some inheritance to give you. That is one of the ways that he will serve you. In Isaiah, it says this, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. You guys, there are so Much in scripture about how we will enjoy food for all of eternity. Now, here's what's interesting though. I'm going to go on a little rabbit trail for a second. Isaiah says this also The wolf and the lamb will feed together. Think about that. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So, there is a little bit of a theological debate about whether there will be meat in heaven. Because think about it, if, if heaven if heaven and earth, once they are back, there is no more death, there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, why would it make sense? And you guys, I'm not a vegetarian here, so this is really hard. This is a hard part of the sermon for me. Um, but there's evidence that would suggest that for all of eternity, that we will be eating, not necessarily meat, but natural vegetation that God has prepared for us. Now, here's the thing. For some of you, for some of you, you go, whoa, I just love prime rib too much. Here's all I'm gonna say about this. Whatever amazing food we have experienced here in the fallen earth, it will not be able to touch like a shot of wheatgrass. You know what I mean? Like a shot of wheatgrass in heaven will be the most amazing taste we've ever had. And so don't look at this and go, well, what about that food that I like or that food? I don't know about all that. All I know is that food that we will consume for all of eternity will be the best of food. I'm gonna fly through these last two. We will reign and rest like Jesus. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. There's this idea that God will take the current existing government structures, kingdoms, policies, rules, the way that things function, And he will not obliterate them, but he will transform them. In fact... God won't obliterate earthly kingdoms, but will transform them into his own. Randy Alcorn says it this way. This reigning, expanding, culture-enriching purpose of God for mankind on earth was never revoked or abandoned. It has only been interrupted and twisted at the fall, but neither Satan nor sin is able to thwart God's purposes. Christ's redemptive work will ultimately restore, enhance, and expand God's original plan. Here's the way I summarize it. There will be lots to explore in heaven, things to build, relationships to develop, and purposes to fulfill, and it will all be more enjoyable than any measure of happiness we have ever experienced before. And so in heaven, there will be lots to do. If your thought is we're on a cloud just chilling, that's not the biblical picture of heaven. The biblical picture of heaven is that you reign, is that you lead is that you are a part of the new kingdom that God has established and will maintain for all of eternity. But not only that, but there will be rest. In fact, God, when he created, he set apart the seventh day and said, on this day, you will rest. And so there will absolutely be rest for all of eternity, but there will also be lots to do. And then lastly, I'm gonna breeze through this real quick. We will have relationships that honor Jesus. Let me start here. Every single one of us was wired for community. In fact, the Lord God said in the very beginning, before sin entered the story of the world, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So you were hardwired for community, and that will not be taken away at the resurrection and in the new heaven and the new earth. Well, what about marriage and heaven? Jesus, in John chapter 14, he says, look, disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will prepare this place for you, and then I will come back for you. That is marriage language. Back in the first century, when a, husband, when a man wanted to marry a woman, he would make a promise to her. He would say, I am going to go and prepare an extension on my father's house. I am going to go build a place literally for us to live, and then I am going to come back for you, and I am going to take you with me, and at that point we will be married. And so when Jesus in the first century says to his disciples, hey guys, don't worry, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back for you. What he's saying is I will be married to all. That I will literally, that Christ, that the picture of marriage, this two becoming one, actually points to something much larger than a marriage in and of itself. In fact, it points to the kind of intimacy and closeness and depth that we will have as the church, as the bride of Christ when he comes back for us. And marriages, marriages won't continue into heaven. In fact, Jesus says at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So here's a taste of what's to come. Acts 4.32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That is exactly what heaven will be. And maybe some of you are going, well, I don't know if you're not here yet, but for me, as a married man, I oftentimes go, well, you mean I won't spend like eternity like married to Sarah? Scripture says no. Scripture says I won't. Here's what I think Scripture alludes to is that you and I's capacity for relationships and for friendship and for depth and intimacy and connection with people will be so far expanded in heaven. And I know this is a crazy thought, but um, let's pick uh, Kyle. Um, Kyle's like great-grandparents. Like, Let's say Kyle's great-grandparents are Christians, maybe, I don't know, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, Kyle's great-grandparents are Christians. I've never met them before. But this is what I think about relationships in heaven and our ability to have deep relationships in heaven. I believe that in heaven, that I will have the capacity to have a deeper, more close-knit friendship, intimacy with Kyle's great-grandparents in heaven than I could ever have with Sarah here on earth. You see, because my relationship with Sarah here on earth points towards ultimately my relationship with God but points towards the ability and the capacity to have perfect relationships without flaw, without sin, without pain. But the same is true for Sarah and I. That I believe in heaven, Sarah and I will be able to have a far closer relationship in heaven than we could ever have here on earth. Now the big question is like, will there be sex in heaven, right? I think scripture says no. I mean, sex was created As a way, the purpose of sex is within the context of a marriage between a man and a woman for the purpose of procreating, but also for the purpose of connecting with each other and building that intimacy. But in scripture, it tells us that for all of eternity, there won't be marriages. We will all just be brothers and sisters in Christ. Since there's no marriages, there won't be any sex. But what we will get to experience with each other, the depth of friendship and relationship will be so much greater That what we are experiencing right now is only a taste of what for all of eternity we will experience. In fact, in fact, relationship experts, you know what they say? Husband and wives is just a free tip for you. Husband and wives that have the best sex lives, it's not because they're the most attracted to each other. It's because they're best friends with each other. You see, friendship, friendship is always the goal within marriage. It's not to be able to have sex. It's to be friends with each other. And sex is one of the ways that marriages that you build that intimacy with each other. But there is a deep friendship that goes way beyond that. And what God says, that what we have waiting for us for all of eternity is deeper friendships with brothers and sisters in Christ that we could never imagine. So students, as I wrap up, here's what I want you to do. Next month when we pick up this series, Courtney Romero and I are gonna be up here and we're gonna be answering your questions about heaven. And so what I want you to do is I want you to text in. It's in the slides at the very end. I want you to text in your questions about heaven. And next month when we revisit this topic, we will be answering your questions. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about what it is that we will do in heaven. Thank you that we will serve you, that we will see you, that you will serve us, that we will reign and we will rest and that we will have relationships. that.